Stephen Cluxton is on the pitch. He is togged out for Dublin. Are you sure he's not a mascot, Joe? I am 100% sure he's not a mascot. Stephen Cluxton is part of the Dublin panel today. I'm surprised as anyone, Joe. Subscribe to the OTBGAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now. Derek McNamara of reactrugby.com is with us to put a tin hat on Ireland's Grand Slam glory. Uh, what are we doing today, Derek? Yeah, I suppose um, it's nice to kind of take a step back and look back at what happened during the competition uh, from an Ireland perspective and you know maybe to look a bit at you know Scotland as well, considering they're going to be in our pool in the Six Nations in the World Cup and kind of take a look back and see what what were the coaching staff doing? Were they doing the right things? And how we're, we're, we are looking at that is is that we we're, we take a kind of overall look at, at all the stats and all the analysis and all the data and all the grades and we can take a look at it and say, all right, well, who are the top guys that were left on the pitch the most during the, the, the Six Nations? You know, who are the guys that were played the most or had the you know most amount of impact on the game uh, during the whole competition? And we've thrown together a few slides just to kind of highlight what happened in the different teams and give an idea of uh, Ireland and, and, and the players that played the most amount of time. So um, here we have the top five players who played. So we have Andrew Porter, who played 90%. Of, so when you say top five, Ireland's top five, what top five what? Yeah. So minutes played. So they, they these are the guys that played most or were on the pitch most more than anybody else. So we had four players that played every single minute of every single game. That was James Ryan, Josh van der Fleer, Mark Hansen and James Lowe. And then the fifth player that was behind them was Andrew Porter, which is quite unusual for a, a tight end prop to play 90% of the overall minutes that were playing, played. But the idea is here is we're trying to take kind of everything into consideration. You know, not just the players that played, but what they did on the pitch and where they ranked compared to all the other players. So here we have, we kind of split it into a bunch, bunch of different uh, levels of information, but we have team contributions. So that's their contribution as an overall player onto the game. So this is what their involvement. We also show the ranking. So um, Andrew Porter was third of 13 uh, loose head props. So he ranked quite high. James Ryan was number two of the second row five. So basically this is based on each individual jersey number. Um so we split the second row fours and second row fives into each uh, specific jersey number. Uh, James Ryan came up second out of the 10 players that played second row, uh, with Josh Van der Fleer, Mack Hansen and James Lowe ranked number one of the, the players in, in their positions. Um, and the point here is is that Ireland were able to leave their top players in those positions on the pitch for more time than any other play- teams in the competition. And uh, you know, it's and obviously credit to the coaching staff. Yeah, this is obviously very important when it comes to um, players like um, certainly in the backs. Right? Is there is there any element where you want to be able to freshen up your most dynamic players? Like, so Josh Underflair playing every minute of every game. We're all delighted when Josh Underflair gets the ball because we know exactly it's going to be one hundred percent. It's going to be perfect. He's like world player of the year. So, but is there any element of you where you're like you wouldn't mind giving an hour rest for ten minutes at the end of a game? Well, that's what the other fourteen players in the pitch are for, Jer. <laughs> to, to give them the yeah, and like so, like when we when we break down individual teams, and um, so. When we take the so uh, Ireland had say thirty two players altogether that played in the Six Nations. They you know they they blooded thirty two players altogether, which is you know same as France. Scotland had thirty three, England only had thirty, Wales had thirty five, and Italy only had thirty as well. So Ireland are kind of right in the middle. So 
and of the kind of top 22 players that played of that 35 so basically we're, we're looking at when we take all of the 32 players you know how many of them had a significant impact on the, on the match and 22 of them equated to 91% of all things that happened on the pitch and um, so there was a nice, you know, it's a nice number of players compared to France. So France blooded 32 players, but only 20, 20, 20 players, uh, 95% of the work rate was done by the 20 players. Okay, so they're so, reliant on a smaller group of... Correct, yeah, yeah. And, and this is what we're trying to show here. And our, Ireland Ireland had a larger number of players, but had, you know, that, that work rate spread out amongst the, the, the 22 players. We are 32 players. You'll have explained this before, Derek, but when you, when you talk about team contribution, so mm. Porter, 6.1, 6.9% for James Ryan, mm. 6.9% as well for Van der Fleer, slightly lower for, for Hansen and, and Lowe, but yeah. what exactly does that entail? So that, I mean, that equates to, um, it's kind of like the simplest form of the, the work rate that we have for, for players, um, and that's basically one pass is equal to one point, one tackle is equal to one point, one tackle assist is equal to one point. Um, everything that's involved, you know, line out lift, line out throw, line out catch, uh, line out jump, should I say, um, catches, carries, possessions, contact. It's all of kind of each individual activity that, that we grade, basically. is uh, And, you know, we've got, I think we were up to 2,800 activities per game. So it's a large number of activities that, that we grade and we take into consideration when we're, we're, we're calculating these numbers. So it's a function of the quality of work that you were doing and how often you were doing that quality work. Correct, correct. Okay. And th- those, they would all add up to 100 over the 23 players used in the match, is it? Correct. Or, yeah, 20, yeah, 23 players yep. that are included in the match. Yeah. So, but uh, this is taken from a overall, from sure. the entire competition from the five games. Okay. So uh, that's Ireland's best players were really good. Um, yeah, yeah. They, they were top quality players. We were able to keep them on the pitch. And as a result... The game plan had a better success or a better better opportunity of being completed or fulfilled. And we have three forwards and two backs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now if we go on to Scotland, and uh, slightly different, but you know the Scottish coaching staff did a great job again as well by being able to keep their their best players on the pitch. However, there were when we look at the forwards black back split, and um, Scotland only had one forward and had four backs. They're much more heavily reliant on their backs. Um, but what we can see here as well is, is that Ireland had one, two, and threes. Um, England or Scotland only have one player who's ranked number one, which is Hugh Jones in the in, in outside centre. Um, so Ireland's f- top five players or front, you know, the players that play the most would be significantly better than Scotland's five five starting players. So. And also the other thing to take into consideration as well is here is Scotland only had two players who played 100% of all the, the minutes as well. So we're, we're trying to show that Scotland, ha- the, the players that played the most had an impact, but not as big of impact as, as Ireland did. Which, you know, obviously we, we won the tournament and, um, and they didn't. Yes, uh, that's correct. But this is, I, I suspect, I mean, we obviously don't have historical data for Scotland over the last decade or so, but... This seems like it's a quantum leap forward from, you know, flaky Scotland. We're going to beat them almost no matter what happens, unless they're incredibly lucky or our bus is late and they score two early tries. But that's not the case anymore. No, not at all. And what's actually even slightly even more worrying is, so if we we take these top five players and we rank them against our own, we're number one for the top five. When we take the top 10 players, we're ranked number one as well. But when we take the top 15 players, so the top 15 players that had the biggest impact, we drop from two to one. And guess who jumps from second to first? 
Scotland. All right. Yeah. Yeah, so they, they 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 were able to get their best fifteen on the pitch throughout the competition, um, but that where they lose their is is their backups and their the, the depth that they have. So um, it's it's really really interesting because you know being able to take entire competitions worth of data and trying it through a system where we try and take every single bit of the work you know that's involved in the ball into consideration means that we don't really have that type of. Uh, perception or, or personality that that most people have about the game we're trying to use data to really tell the story and, and, and advance what, what what people at home are learning from so it's very easy for us to envisage a situation where scotland get everybody fit for a world cup game and have one massive big one-off performance where something shocking happens because all their best players play 75 80 minutes of the game really hope that happens against south africa <laughs> yeah 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 well look I, I I don't think Ireland would be too fussed. Like they're still number one. They still have the best players in the world. They still have the biggest chance of implementing their game plan, which which consistently is trying to outpower and outlast teams because they've got the highest skill set. I, I don't know if this this difference is is massive in terms of the numbers, but doing Villamarva being in, having three point eight percent of team contribution, compare that to Mack Hansen on the Irish wings. It seems significantly less. Is that a it is, but yeah. So Scotland, or? so Scotland would play a kind of very um, a consistent type of game plan where the wings stay in the wing and the the they use Finn Russell to get the ball to those players. Mm. But Ireland uh, have a little bit more free reign you, because Ireland play quite a bit tighter. You'll find that McCanson gets involved in the, in the game a little bit more. And also then you've got um, James Lowe, who kicks the ball significantly part of mm. the game plan. So that's how those two players get involved in the game a little bit more compared to Scotland, who tend to leave their wings sticking on the on the wing and leave them out there. Okay. So it's, a, it's just a slight change in, in game plan. Yeah, the fact that, that, that's a fitness level of Hanson and Lowe, the fact that they have 100% minutes played. Yeah, on the wing. That that's not easy. No, no. But it's 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 tell you what, it's much much harder for uh, Josh Vanderplier and James. Yeah, Ryan. of course. Well, Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and um, and then we we've also taken into consideration then the other teams as well. Just kind of from a very high level, you know, France didn't really have very many players in the you know number one player in the competition at, at nearly any position. They're either second, third, or fourth. But also they're they were including so the, you know their wingers. Um, they only had one player, Jekyll Fiku, who played actually the full um, 400 minutes. Um, and then their other players, you know, their, their wingers wouldn't be considered at the very top of the, the, the competition. And their second rows as well. So obviously Dupont comes in at number two. And that's, I know, we'll probably get a bit of stick about this. About how can Dupont be number two? He's the best player in the world. Um, when we take everything into consideration and we look at what a nine does as a player... You know, seventy percent of what an average nine is doing is passing the ball. But Dupont, what makes Dupont really good is that he's really good at carrying the ball. But again, he does turn the ball over. Like he, I think he had four or five turnovers against England, and he had a couple of against um, the last game as well. So when we take all that into consideration and we look at his accuracy of passing and and look at, at you know, we we can't give a player. Um, special dispensation just because he carries more you know what I mean so we need to we need to put him at the same level as all the other players even though he does do special things and we do obviously take that into consideration as well um, it's interesting that France only used one player for um, 
every minute of every game because you know they they were unbelievably happy at the end of the competition like very confident with the way the whole thing had panned out they're going to have every game at home they're they're feeling themselves they have very strong confidence off the back of the tournament particularly the way it finished for them so I wonder how much of this they're happy with where it's like no we haven't peaked we're we're nowhere near our peak just yet but we we showed that we can when we um, plan for uh, the England game for example that um, I think I think discipline has a huge thing meant to do with it um, you know because of the amount of yellow cards and the red cards that they got in the competition that meant the players had to be substituted off to go into different positions and that's what's reflected here in the French team you know um, if they can get that sorted I think they've got other issues like I think we tend to um, have recency bias quite a lot when it comes to sport and we forget about France's first two games in the competition where they really didn't play very well and they were kind of stuck in the mud. And the third game as well. It wasn't until they played against a very poor English side until they actually uh, ran riot. Yeah, and Matt Williams says that they trained in the training block all the way through uh, to stress the players so that they would be prepared more for what's coming in the World Cup, which I think would you explain. Can't, you can't... High performance, you can't be training for a different competition while you're while you got a match next week the only match you should be training for is the week the game I'm not sure about that I don't I mean what, what France won a Grand Slam last year so win the Grand Slam this year and then bowing out in the group stages of the quarterfinal of the World Cup everybody's going to go oh, what was the point of those Grand Slams France have one thing on their agenda this year and that's winning yeah, the World Cup but, I, but when you look at it from a high performance from an analytical perspective you can't take you got to take small incremental steps to improve well but so Last year, France peaked. Mm-hmm. They they reached the level, and in November they came down off that level. We were like, "Oh, this is interesting. They're not quite the same team." Mm-hmm. Uh, and if they decided that they were going to periodize differently for this, mm-hmm. for specific reasons, then I can see how they'd be feel, feeling pretty confident about it. But if you if you're playing week in week out, if you're playing you know twenty thirty five games a week a year, then you can say, "All right, we can peak for we can try and peak for certain parts of the season." But when you got six games between now and the World Cup, and you're saying that you're going to peak for September, that's you've got, you've only got three or four games together. You've then got a massive break. You've got all your players that are going to go off and play in different leagues and play at different levels. You can't, you can't try and peak for different periods. You have to peak. You have to be have your best players, your best performance, your best game plan for the next week's game. That's all that matters. This whole idea of thinking to World Cup prior to the Six Nations, but that's also not exist. true because you you don't need to peak for the Italy game. Like you don't. You, you can you can have and you can also mix and match. I I, I think that there's many different ways to skin mm. this, right? And I I think if you're um, if you're France, and so I, uh, Matt was the only person who I've um, heard say this, and I have no reason to doubt that it hasn't kind of swept the French rugby culture. That um, that they were, uh, I think maybe maybe we're, we're in semantics here. That this is not a tournament that they went out to be at their absolute. Uh, peak in every single game that this was a tournament that they were stressing the players in a way that they expect to be stressed in the World Cup and what they're doing is mimicking those conditions as best they can while not caring about the cutthroat nature of winning this competition and I think that I would actually argue that the um, stats are kind of reflecting that a bit I I wouldn't mind being yeah. France, basically, is what I'm saying. <laughs> well, I wouldn't mind being from Ireland, to be fair. Like, we're number one. We haven't lost a game in God knows how long. I, I don't know. I, I, I disagree. I, I think if you listen to any um, 
any professional player or any professional team or any professional winning culture, they'll ne- they'll always tell you that it's always the next game. It's never has anything to do with any bigger picture down the line. Like all you're focused on and all the work that you do is dedicated to winning the next game, especially when you only have 12, 13 games a year. You can't like obviously there, there can be stepping stones to a different part of the season but I think that's the, the major issue that Ireland have had in the last rock up cycles is that we've dedicated so much power or brain power or so much um, uh, what would you call it uh, preparation time or- yeah but so much pressure into the World Cup that we've got to you know six weeks out from the World Cup and there's so much pressure on us because we've put so much pressure on us as a as a country and as a team, Ireland have not done that this time. Okay, they haven't. They they've stuck to their plans. They're like, okay, if we can take small incremental gains, if we can play different ways, if we can learn how to win in different situations and different, you know, the the, the amount of adversity that they had in this year's competition is huge, and they've come through it. And that is the way to win. Be, become the best team in the world and stay there. And you know, I think that's you know they'll, they'll continue that that fashion. I don't I don't think they Ireland had any thoughts about the World Cup during this competition whatsoever, and I don't think France did either. I I hundred percent think France did. I absolutely think. I, I don't think there's any any doubt that France were thinking about the World Cup. Their, their, mm. their entire rugby culture for the last eight years has been about winning the World Cup in France, down to winning the World Cup the right to host it to appointing the coach a year out from the previous World Cup so I've no doubt that they were thinking about the the World Cup anyway anyway anyway. yeah England uh, Uh, Wales and Italy yeah so um, just we we might just jump on to the last slide then Uh, Wales just to kind of show the bottom two teams so you know Ireland had number ones number twos and one number three uh, ranked players Um, but when we look at Ryan Baird for instance um, who was the only player from Wales who played 100, 100 minutes or 100% of the, the minutes. Adam, Adam Baird. Uh, sorry, yeah. Adam Baird. Yeah. What do I say? Ryan. Ryan Baird. Sorry, <laughs> sorry Ryan. Um, Adam Baird. So he ranks seventh uh, of 11 when it comes to, to second rows. Right. Um, and the reason why that is is because he's eighth at rooking, he's seventh at carrying, he's eighth at tackling, and he's seventh at line eights when we take the other second row fours into consideration. It's a so, long climb back for Wales, isn't it? Yeah, they also used the most amount of players. They also, you know, that it, it, that you know, of the twenty-three starting players, only eighty-nine percent of the work rate was completed by those twenty-three players. So there's, they're really are in spray. And also, like they had the highest number of um, tackle off the balls, which is a kind of old school way of playing. And that's basically where you get your players to sprint up and make the tackle, no matter if the ball's got there or not. And you look at, it, at the other defenses, which, like Ireland's and even like Italy's, which is. Um, move your players up and don't make the, the decision to tackle um, until your opposition ma- make the pass, cutting out the decision making of the uh, attack. So it's um, it's look, it, 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 Wales are not anywhere near where they need to be, um, and Italy as well. Like unfortunately, Italy have a number of players like they've always had, you know, three or four players deficit to be a good team. And, you know, we can probably see that in the Irish women's team as well, where there's uh, two or three of the players that probably aren't at the level that need to be. And once the ball gets to them, then things tend to break down. It's funny when you look at Wales using the most players on in, on paper, I'm thinking in my head, oh, that means they have reasonable strength and depth. But actually, it's it's 
a negative thing. It's that, a complete opposite, yeah. yeah. But you're even the age profile of the Welsh players, you know, Warren Gratlin bringing all these players back to try and calm the storm, it just it hasn't it worked. It didn't work at all, did it? No. It backfired. It's, mm. um, even if you look at the, the, the top or at the URC as well, and you're looking at some of the mistakes that those players are making in the URC, it looks like an amateur it, sport. It, like. it, it keeps transferring into the um, the senior international side. Okay, so last word on this. Uh, you're pretty happy about where Ireland are. Oh, yeah, Shaney Mac. Like, <laughs> where, how could I not be? Like, we're Grand Slam champions. We're world number one. We've played, we've learned to play in different ways. We've learned to play to win, to win in different situations. We beat France. We've beaten, you know, everybody. We've beaten New Zealand and New Zealand. We've beaten South Africa. We're, we can play without Sexton. You know, we've, we can play um, in different ways with different players. Um, I think one position that we're probably, that nobody else is talking about that I think we are a little bit weak in is probably the second row. You know, if Ty Byrne isn't there, I, I don't think that the players that are behind him are, you know, and, and if um, Henderson Hendo isn't there, then, you know, there's we're not as strong as I think people think we are in that position. And that's you know the second row is a hugely important part of of, of Ireland's winning. So, um, but as a whole, yeah, like it's you know we we uh, we don't need to dramatise it. We don't need to get up too big of a head of ourselves. But we are the we are the favourites to go win the World Cup. I think. Okay, love it. On that note, <laughs> <laughs> love it. Let's play this clip back when we win it. Uh, Derek McNamara, more of that goodness at reactrugby.com. Thanks so much for being with us over the course of Six Nations. Cheers, OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now.